Hi, my name's John Kasher and welcome to Cash Talk, where there'll be no boundaries and a lot of straight talk. All things money, business, and just everyday stuff. Hey guys, before we get started, just a quick reminder that all the information in this podcast is of a general nature and not tailored to your personal circumstances. So please seek personal financial advice before acting on this information. Hey everyone, and welcome to another uh, Friday Finance with Mason. Uh, Mason, thanks for jumping on again for a Friday. I uh, obviously have been away for a few weeks, so apologies for the people who, uh, you know, for going MIA. I was one of those annoying people that was overseas uh, while everyone's in the freezing cold. I was enjoying some time away with my family in Europe, but thanks for jumping on again. No, no worries at all. It has been a while though, hasn't it? I feel like it's been, it's, I feel like it's been ages. It hasn't, hasn't really, but it's, it's felt like it's been a really, really long time. So it'd be good to, good to get back to the rhythm of things now you're back, back on Australian shores. Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. I, I can't, can't say that I'm enjoying the weather being back, but I'm enjoying getting back into the hot seat and, and, and look to be giving, you know, continuing to help people on their wealth creation journey as well too. But today we're going to be speaking about a, a pretty age-old debate about active versus passive investing. Uh, it's a pretty topical one. Obviously, um, you know, a lot of people have strong views on on either one or the other. Um, so we'll look to be able, you know, unpack that and, and really be looking at, you know, the different styles and what they mean and, and our views and opinions on those. Now, before I get started, obviously, everyone, I want everyone to know that everything we say here today is of a general nature. We haven't taken your personal circumstances into consideration, but we hopefully get a bit of value out of what we discuss here today. Yeah, no, it, it, you're right. It is this age-old debate. It seems to be you either are one camp or the other. Um, and I think particularly recently, I think active managers have, have copped a fairly bad rap. It's very, been very much passive, 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 index, index, index. Um, but I do think, I personally believe active managers do play a role and have a role to play in a portfolio. I'm not sure about your opinion though, John. Yeah, well, the... <laughs> Listen, if you had to say which side of the camp do I more sit on, I do more sit on the passive investing rather than the, the active investing. And the main reasons why is because I like to base my investment decisions based on logic and not based on emotion. And sometimes I, when it comes to active management, depending on who's in the hot seat, um, depending on if they're taking emotion or if they're taking logic based on their investment decisions. But I do think there's a place to be had in having a bit of a blend of both. Now, for people that maybe aren't aware of the different styles, do you want to just explain to them what active management is, what active investment management is, and then what passive investment management is, Mason? Yeah, it's a really good point. So with active management, that's where someone is actually actively trading these different assets to try to to try to beat the market. That's their that's their job. Their job is to outperform the market. Whereas a passive strategy is to match the market. You're not trying to beat the market. You, you are the market, essentially. So as you can see, it's it's quite hard to beat the market. So that's why active managers come under a bit of stress, particularly recently. Um, well, I mean, it's been going for a long time. I feel like the rise of passive management has seen active managers get less and less market share. Um, they, still, they still probably do dominate, though. I think the figures still show they dominate in terms of overall share. Um, but passive management is definitely, definitely growing. And it just seems the easier approach, uh, just put your money away, don't worry about it, um, and just let watch it go up with the market. 
So, I, and I think that I think there's different layers of what I would call active active management and, and, and passive uh, investment management. And, and what I mean by that is, you've got active managers who may be day trading. They may be, you know, monthly trading. They may be moving on positions on a more shorter term time frame, but they also might have some long-term investments that they're looking to hold for a long period of time. They're just making decisions. And um, and the kind of, you know, analogy I want to do is they're trying to find the needle in the haystack, okay? Now, when it comes to passive management, you're not doing that. You're literally kind of buying an index and rather than you trying to maybe pick five stocks out of the ASX 200, you're just buying the whole ASX 200. So it's not trying to find the needle in the haystack, it's just to buy the haystack. Now, why I lean to more passive investment is is two factors. One is based on the people that I kind of, if you want to say, idolize in the in the investment world. And, and you know, that's Jack Bogle or John C. Bogle, and, uh, the founder of Vanguard. Um, he's got a lot of data and a lot of research that shows that everyone kind of reverts back to the mean um, over thousands and thousands of different investment managers. Um, I think there was only two managers that beat the market. Um, and so, you know, having that kind of probability, you know, you've got to go with some of the facts and a lot of the data. But I think the other one is also Warren Buffett and people go to him, isn't he an active manager? Well, kind of, but he also understands that not everyone can do what he can do. And so, for you to be able to do the active management of Berkshire Hathaway, what they're doing is they're essentially understanding the business intricately, you know, understanding it like they would a small business. You know, me as owning a wealth advisory business, if I was going to go buy a wealth, another wealth advisory business, I'm in the box seat. I understand how it works. I understand the mechanics behind it. I understand, you know, how it is like it intricately moves. And by that, it puts me in the box seat to make a decision on if I believe that the price that they're willing to sell it for is of value. So, you know, I don't think that everyone has that understanding of of businesses, especially when you're talking about particular stocks on the stock market. But what I like to do, and sorry, and just to interrupt, he says that, you know, because most people don't know what I'm going to do, they would be much more better off just buying the whole index or, or being a passive investor. But... It doesn't mean that you need to be completely, if you are a passive investor, it doesn't mean that I believe that you need to be solely passive investing. That means like you literally put your money in, in there and don't do nothing. I think where a lot of the active management needs to come for people is, is one on the asset allocation, the overall asset allocation of your money and being active on that. And I think the other one as well too is um, for you to be active when you need to be active. And so what I mean by that is the active management needs to be based on predetermined rules and predetermined factors. So we commonly talk about like things like rebalancing strategies. So if markets go down and they tank, what are you doing? Are you selling your assets or are you putting more assets in, you know, into that asset class? So I think being actively managed on the strategies and based on a predetermined logic is why I lean to active management. Now, you did say before that you did have a place and obviously your view, um, and, I'd, and I'd like to hear your view on that, Mason, as well. Yeah, I think it does have a place because I think, and I think I think particularly during times of market volatility, I think active management does have a place because as you said, there's sometimes where being a little bit active can, can be a benefit. Um, and I think what history has shown us as well is during times where markets have gone really, really well, it's been hard to beat that market because the market's always going up. So passive is really, really won out when the markets are going well. 
There were markets seem to be going a, a little bit less well or a bit on a downturn or in a bit of volatility. Active management really comes out on top there. That's what this seems to show in these periods of time. So I think it's not, and I was thinking, as you said before, it's not about going one or the other. I think it's having a bit of both. Um, maybe your portfolio is half passive, half, half active. Maybe it's a little bit further in the passive space to save on the fees because it's passive. Is, we haven't touched on that yet, but passive is generally cheaper. Um, so it keeps the portfolio cost down. But having a little bit of active there, um, I think it really does play a role. And I think it's, I know we when we talk about investing, I know we all, I think, I, I know I'm pretty guilty of this. I automatically think of equities. But when it comes to active and passive management, we've got to also think about there's fixed income, property, all these other asset classes where active management can really play a role. Um, particularly, um, I know you're really big on the bond market as well. And particularly times like this where interest rates are going up and things, active management can really play a role in choosing the right types of fixed interest products. Um, so I think passive investment in, particularly in bond markets, you, it can be quite damaging to a portfolio, particularly now where the durations of bonds are quite long in these passive portfolios. Um, so I think it's, I think it, particularly in the fixed income space, I think active management can really, really play a good role. But what are your thoughts on active management in the, in the, in the fixed income space? Well, very much at the current market, there is a place to be had for active management on the defensive side of people's portfolios. If you think about things like fixed income, you're thinking about you know fixed income slash bonds. If you're thinking about things like even term deposits, or if you're thinking cash accounts, yeah, um, you know there needs to be active management on the defensive side for you to be able to produce a a return. Now, if you do it smart, there's a lot of risk-free returns that are happening at the moment because cash rates are going up. Um, I don't know, just think about one, for example, if you could buy, you know, treasury linked bonds in the US, you know, um, that, you know, at inflation rates of 9%, you've got a risk-free return of a 9% return. If you're not making and pulling the trigger on that active management, well, then you're potentially losing out if you're a US, like a, in the US. Um, obviously, I can't give advice on US products because I'm not a US financial advisor, but just an example of, you know, some of the things that where, where active management could play. But I think also when it comes to fixed income, duration is a big one. And what I mean by what we mean by that is how long the, the maturity of that bond. So the longer dated bonds have been getting absolutely spanked because um, of what's been going on in interest rates. So if you've got shorter duration fixed income, it's really cushioning that blow because they're just not as sensitive to the interest rate risk. So there's places to be had. In saying that, long-term assets have been proven over and over and again that passive wins out. So even though you have periods of downturns, periods of upturns seem to be longer than periods of downturns. So yes, there's people that make a lot of money, aka Warren Buffett from active management in regards to what he does. But I would say that the percentage is quite small overall. And if you're looking at you know most people, I wouldn't be putting all of their money into active management. I wouldn't be putting all of their money into passive investing either. I think it's really important about having a blend. And if you wanted to go at me and say, John, what do you reckon is an ideal kind of percentage makeup? I would say for most people, 80% passive, 20% active. Yeah. I'm not talking about a 50-50 approach. I'm more talking that most assets are better placed in a, in a passive investment structure but there is a place for active management in people's portfolios across the board. Yeah, I think what you just said there is 100% spot on. I think because, as we know, 
equity markets over the long term increase in value. Therefore, I think if you're holding holding these investments for the long term, which you should be for these types of assets, then passive management makes that a lot, a lot of sense. Um, and hence why it's so popular at the moment. Um, and there's, there's, you can seem to be able to buy an index for everything. So it's not it's not as vanilla as it once was. Um, I know like people like to spice up their portfolios with certain different little things. Um, because and I think why active management is still popular is we like to outperform. So I know like when you're tracking the market, you can't necessarily outperform the market because you are the market. So I think people are trying to find that X factor. Um, mm. But I think it comes back to being happy with a good return on the market. Like you don't have to outperform the market. If that market return is still good, you should still be happy with that return. I think I don't think it's always about outperforming. And I think I think what it goes to is around going back to your goals and aspirations and then building a portfolio accordingly. Like, do you need, I know everyone wants a more return, but usually when you have to take on more return, you've got to take on more risk. So if the market is good enough or the market return is good enough, why are you trying to outbeat it? And even if you're trying to outbeat it, what's the percentage of you actually trying to outbeat it? You know, I was looking at some data the other day, 85% of active fund managers in Australia, I think over a 15-year period, didn't beat the market. So 85% chance, yeah, going with an active manager, you're not going to beat the market. Yeah, it's pretty poor performance, mate. You know what I mean? And I don't like to look at past performance, but one year, five years, 10 years. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not going to beat up all, all managers. Like managers have a role. Yeah, they just don't have the whole role. Yeah, and there's been an introduction to a version of passive investment, which is what, what I would like to call replication investing or replication passive investment. And what it does is it creates essential, let's call it passive investment, but with a criteria. Okay, so for example, you may have a, I don't know, an ESG, okay, which it'll invest in the, I don't know, top 50, 500 stocks in the US stock exchange, like the S&P 500, but it will have an eligibility criteria that will exclude any companies that have any involvement in tobacco, firearms, trafficking, you know, you know, human trafficking, blah, 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 the whole kit and caboodle, yeah? So it will deselect, automatically deselect, you know, from 500 down to, I don't know, let's say 300 different investments. Now, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, what is that? Well, I don't mind that type of investing either because all you're doing is you're, you're setting your criteria and your eligibility based on a predetermined logical outcome, okay? So there's also things where, for example, they may have moat-orientated investments, okay? Moat-orientated investments will say, okay, well, we're going to invest in the top 100 stocks in the Australian Stock Exchange, for example, but we will only invest. We will only invest in the top two hundred. Uh, oh, sorry, we'll top one hundred. Say, but companies who have a balance sheet with X criteria and profit margins of Y criteria. And so, what it's doing, it's pre-selecting these on there. Now, if you had to say to me, from an active management and from a uh, passive management, I like personally to blend those. Okay, uh, with a passive and a replication kind of model. And the reason why I like that to be done is that I'm setting the I'm setting up the criteria in a clear mind. Yeah, like this is the criteria I need for my portfolio to have these mechanisms. Now, why would I do that? So think about it. Like, why would I actually set those criteria? Well, at the moment, for example, um, 
the inflationary times, you want companies with good, strong balance sheets. And this environment may be around for a little bit of time. So what I want to do is I want to be making sure that I've got some really strong companies that are going to kind of work their way through this inflationary time. So you can see what I'm doing is here is I'm not saying to investment manager to go out and kind of pick, hand pick it. What I want to do is just bring a level of protection and a little a level of a level of eligibility inside the portfolio to help them through this period of time. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think it does make sense to go for those some of those strategies, like the moat strategies and things like. Because I think over time they've shown to actually outperform the whole market indexes. Like that, it's so. I think those types of strategies do make sense. And as you said, past performance doesn't mean it's going to exceed in the future, um, but. I think having those having those parameters in in play in your portfolio does make a lot of sense. And it's and, think, and Mason and Mason, sorry to interrupt. And I think it's also got to do with the person's pref- preferences. Like when you think about ESG, you know, how do you, yes returns are one thing, but how do you feel about someone investing in oil or dirty energy or whatever it's going to be? How do you feel about that? And so that's where these new kind of um, criteria based investments. I think work really, really well to kind of do that. That's a really good point um, because someone might be willing to accept a 1% or however many percent lower return, but they might be happier knowing that they're not investing in these fossil fuels and things. So it's not just how much can I get on my portfolio? Like you might you might not, if I said to you, John, um, you get an extra 5% return on your portfolio, but you're going to be investing in companies that um, endorse child labour. How do you feel about that? Nah, okay, yeah, let's let's uh, let's skip that one. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're not gonna, we're not even gonna be involved in that investment, and and that's exactly right, and that's exactly right. So remember that you know we have to go down to like what passive is, and I think there's you got like like I said, active, which are you know trying to find the needles in the haystack. Yeah, it doesn't mean that they're trying to keep them for two days and then flip them or a day trading. This might be long term positions, but they're taking a position on a particular investment and we say they've got their place yeah both on the fixed income the equity side they have their place on the passive investing that is more you were trying to buy the whole basket but hold it and keep it for the long term and essentially like forget that it's even there it's going to pay dividends in the long term okay it'll 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 get reap the rewards but i think there's this new kind of style and it's like in passive investing with a criteria or it's active investing with a criteria and that kind of sits somewhere in the middle. And with those criteria, they can get as like as narrow and as wide as possible as well too. So, um, or as, as filtered, strong filter and, and light filter as possible. So there's many different options. Which one is right? Well, based on the data and the performance, passive investment wins this, wins this from a data and a data place. But, it's not to say that past performance is a true indicator of future performance, and it doesn't mean that you have to be on one, have both feet in both in one camp. You can have one footy in each camp, um, and utilize the strategies to help you get to where you need to get to. I think that was really good, Mason. I hopefully, um, if anyone's got any questions, I know we're going live today, so if there's any questions, please let us know. But Mason, did you have any other comments that you wanted to make on this one? I think we've covered a lot today. I think, um, yeah, I think I don't think we've solved the debate by any means, but I think we've brought up some some good points. Um, and I think I think we're both on the same page. I think we both somewhat lean towards passive management, but we also understand that active management does play a role. 
Um, and while passive management's in the sun at the moment, who knows what the next decade provides? Maybe active management comes back into vogue. Maybe they come up with something where it's, uh, oh, it actually makes a lot of sense. Let's maybe, maybe we'll lean towards that in 10 years' time. Who actually knows? Um, but yeah, that's investing for you. It's always exciting, I think. Always. And in the money world, it never sleeps. And there's always new challenges and always new things to face. So hopefully you've enjoyed another session of Friday Finance. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. Have a great one. Cheers. See you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Cash Talk. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you want to learn more about me, jump onto my Instagram at, at thejohncasher and you'll find me there or at my website at www.johncasher.com.au. Thanks for listening. Cheers.